Lots of kids. And I can't keep up anymore. Sometimes I'll see a child in the arms of someone. I can't figure out who they are. <laughs> who is this? That's my question. That's really strange. It's really bad when it's your own grandchildren. <laughs> but I'll work it out before we get done, I'm sure. Let's just pray real quickly. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would enlighten us by thy Holy Spirit. We don't want to hear from anyone else this morning, but from the person of our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that leads us, guides us, directs us. We thank you for the Word of God, which gives us truth in a world that so desperately needs it. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. We are in James chapter 4. And as has been said many times, James is a very matter-of-fact kind of writer. But I think we need to excuse James a bit. There, There was a lot that happened that would have shocked him and caused him to wonder what on earth is going on here. We know from the book of James that, uh, from, from this writer, that he was the, the younger brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had to watch the Lord Jesus Christ every day of his life in absolute consistency and holiness as this man, Christ Jesus, walked through the earth. And and even though his siblings, as evidenced in the Scripture, had turned against him, by the time the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, James was a different man. You can kind of understand why why maybe he has a a no-nonsense kind of approach when he brings the Word of God by the Spirit of God. You know, there's that old movie, uh, it, the old Mary Poppins movie, I think in the 60s, you know. They have that little song. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I mean, you old ones are cranking your head on that one because I remember it well, and things like that you never forget. But James, he doesn't use a spoonful of sugar. But there is medicine, and it's serious medicine. Because what James does is digs into the very character of we as human beings and begins to expose. And it's not very, uh, it's not very comfortable for us to sit back and, and read this book and, and be exposed, but we are exposed. We're exposed for many times hypocrisies. We're exposed for how we're living. All these things of a very practical nature, James pretty much just throws in our face. Now, James had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and all His work. Listen to the beginning of this book. James, a servant of God. Now, that, that if there was anything left as far as uh, James being uh, uh, proud of himself and his position as the younger brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died and, and rose again from the dead, the one who performed all those miracles, the one who, who walked in absolute perfection, no hypocrisy whatsoever, even though all around him he could see hypocrisy everywhere, this is what he says, James, a servant 
of God. Now, he could have touted himself at this point. He could have said, James, listen, I have your authority here. And, and those other writers that wrote during that time, many of them did refer to James, and he had a high position in the church of Jerusalem at that time. He had authority. He was the one who proceeded over the council in Acts chapter 15 when decisions were being made in concerns with the law and circumcision. There was James. But the way he addresses himself is a servant of God. You might say to yourself, and erroneously, you might say to yourself, well, he's mocking Paul. Oh, is he? The problem is Paul hadn't written yet. It's quite possible that James is the first writing of the New Testament. So who's mocking who? Who's following who? Well, anyone that spends any time with the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come up with the same conclusion. You're not going to come away from, from an experience with the Savior of the world, the one who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many, and have this kind of a cocky attitude that, oh, look at me! Look at me! You, you couldn't. You couldn't do that. James grew up with God as his older brother. And that's significant. That's going to cause you to, to live a little differently. It's also going to cause you to write in a way that, that leaves you no doubts. It's sort of a matter-of-fact approach when it comes to uh, impartiality. As far as our true faith and impartiality, that's chapter 2. And then true faith that is evidenced by our works. That's the latter part of chapter 2. Then true faith as far as our words. Oh, this is where it really gets tough. Our words. The tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And then we're going to continue with that in, in chapter number 4. But listen to the end of chapter number 3. It says this, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now listen to verse 18. But the, fruits of righteous, but the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And then we have what proceeds in chapter number 4. And this is the way chapter number 4 starts. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? The word lust can be translated hedonism. Our hedonism, that wild natural man that we spend all our time gratifying. That would be lust. That war in your members. Now, now I, I want you. To, I want to put this in perspective here. This is the church that experienced all the miracles of Pentecost. Right there in Jerusalem. This is the original church, and yet here James is. It almost seems he's a bit discouraged. You know that we have. Battles and, and wars going on between individuals. Now, I do want you to realize that, that what was happening is, is the Jewish faith that they were so used to was being replaced by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the law, 
but all they had known. And here it says, Come they not even of your lusts that war in your members. Now, I want you to get this in, in perspective because this is the way we see things in our own lives because we don't see them the way they really are. I will have a problem with a brother. I don't have any problems with any brothers in here. I'm going to tell you that. I, I'm not that kind of... I don't know why. I just don't quarrel well. But I got all kinds of other faults. Oh, boy, I'm loaded. I'm loaded with them. And many know. But I got a problem with a brother. And I go to that brother, and you know, and, and he says something to me again. And I say, I've had enough. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind right now. Well, let me tell you, don't give out pieces of mind. We don't have that much to spare to begin with, okay? And I know from my standpoint that that's not a very wise thing to do. So you don't give people. But that's where we say, well, that's where the battle started right there. Right there, when I unloaded, I've, I've had enough. I, I, it was, the cup runneth over, you know. Well, the Word of God says that's not where it started. It says this, even of your lusts that war in your members. This is a translation out of the NIV of the last part of that. Don't they come from desires that battle within you? Oh. What the Bible is saying is that the battle didn't start when the cup runneth over. That's not when it started. It started... Many, many, in some cases, many, many years before. When we harbor envy in our hearts, when we harbor hatred in our hearts, that's where the battle begins. It starts with us. The, those are only the ramifications, the outworkings of an already gross heart. It says they come from our lusts, or or, 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 or hedonistic, this 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 wild nature that needs to be pulled under reins continually. What pulls it under reins? Well, we're going to find out what pulls it under reins. Verse number two: Ye lust and have not; ye kill and desire to have and ye cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because you ask not. There's a barometer. There, there, there's a good barometer out there. We'll call it a barometer. And the barometer will tell us our spiritual state at all times. It's a prayer amateur if we are in good stead with our prayer amateur these things will never manifest themselves we may have a difficulty with a brother or a sister as is amongst us that's human nature that's going to happen but then we're going to begin to do what we're going to begin to stew about it and as we stew about it and we stew about it what are we not doing we're not praying about it. I will guarantee you, in the authority of the Word of God, 
that if instead of stewing about it, and maybe even talking to others, did you see what he did to me? Did you see, did you hear what she said to me? We begin to pray about it. Guess what? It's going to go away. It dissipates like smoke vanishing into the air. We begin to replace it with a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see all that He's done for us. And suddenly, all that we thought was just so significant and so worthy of our attention, I've got to do something about that, becomes completely insignificant. What James is saying is, you're not praying. You're not praying. Your your parameter is at a very, very low state. And it's indicative of your spiritual state. What is prayer? It's reaching out to God the Father by what? By faith. So we're, we're exercising faith. When we go to God the Father, we are exercising faith. If we're completely low on our faith, then our prayer life completely vanishes. And when our prayer life completely vanishes and all these things that, that, that should flow off us like the water off of a, a duck's back end up seeding inside of us and growing. And it becomes something greater than it really ought be. It says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because you ask not. Verse 3. Now you say, sometimes I, I, I pray and, 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 well, I don't understand. I, I'm praying. I'm I'm praying. God doesn't seem to be answering my prayer. What, what's going on? It says that it is. Why am I not getting an answer? Well, sometimes the answer is no. This is what it says in verse 3. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. In other words, what he's saying is that, that our prayers should align with the will of God. They've got to align with the will of God. And you know what? This is a blessing. This is a blessing. This is a blessing. Because sometimes God says no, and that's the best answer we could get. When I was a very, very young uh, 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 kid, I was probably only about six or seven at the time. I remember, uh, uh, I might have been a little bit older than that. I remember uh, a man came into our house and he said, um, he said to my father, he said, do you know that those spiders up there in the corner, do, do you know they're dangerous? My dad had never heard of a dangerous spider inside of a house, and he just doubted him completely. And so what happened was they, they, he went up there with a jar, and he got that spider, and he actually put it into the jar, and he showed my father where on its back, on its one part of its uh, body there, was a clear, absolutely clear fiddle. And it was called a brown recluse spider. And, and what had happened is these things had migrated up from the south. Now, being a little kid, I, I wanted to play with the spider. I had a good appetite. I might even have thought it might not even taste good. And, and this man, you know, he, he knew better. He knew that this was a very, 
very deadly spider. Its poison is akin to the black widow. And so He kept us from it. Well, that's exactly what God does many times when we pray. It, it, it is that He kept us from it. And maybe later on, as we mature in the Lord, we look back upon those requests and we realize, thank You, Lord. Thank You for saying no. I wanted this. I wanted that. Why are we the ones demanding in our prayer life? This is another thing that really hit me recently. This is our prayers. God bless me in my business. God bless my family. God bless my sons. God bless my... And and here's God standing back saying, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is that the way prayer should be? No. You know... We treat God like He's some sort of a genie or something. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ is in the garden and He's praying. He's saying, Not My will, but Thine be done. Really, when we pray, we should be reporting for duty. Not asking or telling God, You need to bless me here. You need to bless me here. You need to bless me here. But rather, Lord, what will You have me to do? We ask and, and because we're, we're asking amiss. We're not asking in the right way. And so God is essentially saying no to those particular requests. Now, I want you to realize this next verse. This is the bluntness of the writer James. He doesn't play around. You adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. We can't do both. We we, we can't do both because what we do is we divide our heart. And I have found in in my short 55 years experience that it is very easy to live a double life. I have seen it. I have felt it. In other words, a divided heart. We cannot, the the, the Scriptures are very clear, that we cannot be a friend of this world and, 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 and call ourselves in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ in our personal relationship. It just doesn't work. And he calls it spiritual adultery. This is taken from the Old Testament. It's used time and time again with the nation of Israel. It is considered spiritual adultery. Let's turn over to Psalms chapter 86 real quickly. And I want to show you just something that just blew me away this week. I think I shared this with Malcolm already. I can't remember. Psalm chapter uh, 86 and verse uh, 11. It says this, Teach me... This is, this is David speaking. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Now listen to what he says. Unite 
my heart. I am convinced that there are many believers in this world that we live in that need to pray this particular prayer, including myself. Unite my heart. Why is it that I can, I can, I can walk this certain path at one particular part of the day and, and my, my, don't they look like they're really on the right track? Holy indeed. And then all of a sudden, something in my life goes a little bit wrong and all of a sudden, boom, I'm flashing off the handle. Unite my heart. This is what James had to look at every day with his older brother. He had to see an absolutely holy, righteous, united heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw it. He saw it played out before him. And that's exactly the way we need to live. United. We need to pray that prayer. Lord, unite my heart. That I'm not one way at one moment and the other way at the next moment. Bring them together. Make them one. Wrangle out, squeeze out, whatever you have to do, the hypocrisy in life, so that it may continue on in a way that might be pleasing to you. Unite my heart. That's what David is saying. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, that's a strange verse. But not all envy is bad. Not all jealousy is bad. There is righteous jealousy. If I had one of my granddaughters and, and she came to me and she said, Man, Grandpa, it's not going to happen yet. I'll guarantee you they're too young. That Grandpa, this guy, he is awesome. He's really something special. Wait till you meet him. And I, with a bit of a wary eye, oh, okay, here we go. You know, you're 15 now, so... And when he comes, I finally get to meet him, and, and he drives up on a motorcycle. Never trust a guy on a motorcycle. <laughs> and he's got one of those helmets with that big spike hanging out the top. And he's got tattoos all over his body. And he doesn't smell so good. And she thinks he's dreamy. I think he's a nightmare. I can be jealous after my, my granddaughter because I don't have any daughters. See, I can, I can only use granddaughters here. I can be jealous because I love them and, and I know that this guy is not going to be great for you. This isn't going to end well. Can't you see that? At this point, those blinders are really thick across the eyes and she can't see anything but just how wonderful he is. And, and I know that he's a nightmare. He's trouble. That's not a negative jealousy. That's, that's a good jealousy. Our God, it says in the Old Testament, he, He's a jealous God. He was jealous after the nation of Israel, wasn't He? Because of love. 
Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But He giveth more grace, wherefore, He saith, God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is, this is the enemy as we go through. It, it's Satan and, and all his schemes to, to grab our attention. And he's great at it. He's, he knows, he, he's, he's very, very wise. He knows what he's doing. He's very, very knowledgeable. And he knows what it is that gives you a problem. He's going to keep going back to that same thing, that same thing that, that gives you a problem over and over and over again. It says resist the devil. In other words, those schemes, those things that you can identify, this is from the enemy. You begin to, to build up character to the point where you can resist those things. Let me tell you, Satan hasn't got a chance if you've got God walking with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He ain't got a chance. He's not going to approach when God is there. He's not going to approach when there's a good, tight, uh, 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 personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're walking in fellowship with Him. Satan's got to keep at bay. But most of us have problems in that area, don't we? We'll start off our day, we have our little prayer, and, and of course we have our scripture meeting, got to read a chapter a day, a chapter a day keeps the devil away, and, 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 and we go about our day, and, and, and then things start happening, and, 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 and we, all of a sudden we've forgotten. We're not praying anymore, we're not communing with the Lord Jesus Christ, and Satan says, ha this is my chance, come move right on in. And, and he does. I'm glad to see everyone here this morning, but I bet there are some here that, that, that woke up this morning and, man, it was cold. It was cold. He felt like, ooh, man, it's cold this morning. It would really feel good if I could just stay in bed. <laughs> I feel like just staying in bed. You know, I got that old, I got that old tired feeling. And, and I, ju- I just feel like staying in bed. I commend you. You're here, right? Because if cold was the problem or, or, or the fact that you just, you had a really long night Saturday night and, 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 and you're just extremely tired, then Satan's going to keep throwing that same temptation your way over and over again. Satan is not omniscient. He, he learns. There's a learning curve that goes on there. And, and what we do is we feed the learning curve. Because what we do is we, we succumb to certain things and say, oh, you see that? That seems to be the problem. Oh, well, I have a child and, and, and they have so much homework to do and, and we just have to stay home because they've got so much... Okay, <laughs> that kid's going to have more homework than you ever dreamed of. Satan's going to say, keep it coming. Keep it coming. There's a learning curve with Satan. He's not omniscient like God. In Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to look at Satan after he's revealed and we're going to say, that's, that's what troubled the earth? That, that is what troubled the earth. You know, as I, as I walk with my children, I, I take my grandchildren up to the park, and we go by this certain house, and, and they're not here, but they can testify. This little bitty dog, you know, little bitty dog, and comes yapping. Now, I, you know, many of you know, I don't, really, I don't really like dogs all that much, but listen, if you're going to have a dog, don't get a gerbil. Get a dog, you know? 
And so we get this little bitty dog. And, and we go by in the stroller, and, and we just to keep it going, you know. And then he stands at the end of the fence of the corner fence, you know. And you realize what he's doing. He's saying, I did my job. I ran them folk right off that property, didn't I? There was a preacher told a story that he was in a very, very small town. He was a pastor. There weren't a lot of churches in that small town. And, and, and he tells a story about uh, going jogging at times. He went, goes jogging. And sure enough, this same house had one of those little dogs did the exact same thing. Ran you right down. You just keep jogging because, you know, you're not really too concerned about anything. And, and, then, and then he realized, this dog's winning. So one day, as he was running through, he got about halfway down the fence, and he turned on that dog. And, and the dog literally rolled over on its back. And then there was a lady who came to the door. Pastor John? But we do that with Satan. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What do we do? We don't resist. In fact, we give him the victory. We give him the victory by, 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 by going and succumbing to whatever it is, whatever little problem. And it could be that same thing that just keeps coming our way and coming our way and coming our way. Why is it always that same thing? Because Satan says, well, that's what works. That's what works. So this is very practical teaching. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. But look, there's got to be, a, there's got to be another action. There's got to be something to replace. Draw nigh to God, verse 8. Draw nigh to God. So as we resist the devil, we draw closer to the Lord. And as we draw closer to the Lord, the Satan, keeps, Satan keeps at bay. He's... He's not going to bother us. He can't. He sees the Lord. And He will draw nigh to you. So there's a promise here. If we draw nigh unto God, He will draw nigh unto us. So if someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm doing everything right and I just don't feel that God is doing His part. I feel like I'm still lonely. I don't feel that communion with God. I'm praying. I'm all these things. I say to you, baloney. It's a promise of Scripture. It says, you draw to Him, He's going to draw to you. He's going to do His part. There's going to be no question as far as His, his part is concerned. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Now this is where we, we take sin very seriously. We've, we've got to take sin seriously. We've got to recognize that, that when we are keep falling into the same trap or whatever it is that, that, tend, that Satan is using, we've got to realize just how serious a matter that is because that's a divided heart. That's what he calls it. He calls it adultery. Wow, that's pretty serious, right? You cheated on the one who you covenanted with. That's what he's calling it. Adultery. So he's saying, mourn about it. Don't, don't sit there and... Yeah, that's, I tell you, this is, this is a great 
grave danger with believers today. We just kind of say, well, that, you know, First John chapter 1, where, uh, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, forgives the sin, because I will. I'm good. I'm good, right? And then you go right back into it. If you confess your sins, is God ever wary of forgiving? No, He's, he's long-suffering. It's true. But we need to see it as for what it really is. It is serious business. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves. Oh, that, that's, that's the, that, that, that is, that is the, the, the first sign of real communion with the Lord Jesus Christ when we realize just exactly who we are. If we think we're something, boy, you better look out. You're going to find out just how little we really are. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Sometimes we're so busy lifting ourselves up that the Lord's standing off to the side saying, I'd like to do it. I'd like to lift you up, but <laughs> you're too busy lifting yourself up. That, that's what we do when, we, when, we're, when we're gossiping about people, you know? I mean, let's say it for what it really is. It's okay if an individual is hurting, if he's brought to the attention of another individual with a loving heart. I have that person's best in mind. I am not... But, the problem is, oftentimes we're bringing that individual to the attention of another because what we want to do is we want to boast ourselves up. Look at him. <laughs> Look what he's doing. I'm not doing that. That's what we're saying. And you know what? That never ends well. Because the person who we're talking to about the person who is absent from the room usually is looking at us like, oh, there's a real gossiper. And then the strangest thing transpires because that individual who just recognized us as gossiping will turn around and talk about someone as being spurred on by that person and they can't recognize that they're a gossiper. Why? I never could figure that out. I can see it with another, but I can't see it for myself. It's like blinders are on, you know? If we love that person, I always use the illustration, I want you to think about your children, your physical children. And I want to see if you go to another person and say, man, you see what my son did? Yeah, he feeling it, he feeling it. And you can, you can, you can hear it as it's, it's beginning to fill us up with pride. And, and that ain't going to happen, is it? Because it's your son. It's your daughter. And there's one ingredient there that isn't over here. And it's called L-O-V-E. Love. If there's love and true concern and compassion for that person, you're going to bring, you may bring that to another person and say, boy, yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you go through this whole big old laundry list once in a while and they did this and they did it, you know, we really need to pray for them. But they never do. You ever notice that? They never do. We need to pray for him. A good response on another person's would, well, let's do that. Let's pray. Let's do that because then that's showing that there is true compassion. 
There is real love. There is real concern. If we had that kind of relationship, one with the other, in this little local fellowship of God's church as being run by the Lord Jesus Christ, it would shoot right off the map. But that old human nature, that old part of us that, that, that is always concerned with us, that, that always gets in the way. We'll do whatever we can to try and make us look good in the eyes of other people. I, it's a disease. And James calls it like it is. He doesn't play around. And I, I'm glad by the Spirit of God that to choose James out to, to write such a matter-of-fact kind of uh, uh, writing here that would give us a good idea of who we really are. Because it does... Let me tell you if, you, if you read the book of James, you come away and you feel like, oh man, that's that inspiring. I really feel good. <laughs> Whoa, I don't know. You're not reading the James I'm reading. Because it doesn't make me feel like, wow, I'm really on target. It makes me feel like, wow, I've really been exposed by the Spirit of God who's working through James to, to write this particular book. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Speak not evil of another. Where are we at? Speak not evil of another brother. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law. And James uses the term the law on a few occasions in the book of James. One time he uses it as the perfect law. Another time he uses it as the law of liberty. And then the other time he uses it as the royal law. Let's go over to Galatians uh, chapter 5 and verse 14. I think it, it'll, it'll clarify what James is actually speaking of. Now, the law, you, you remember the consul in chapter 15 of Acts when they all got together and, and began to consider the, the practice of circumcision and, and the law... And uh, you, you remember what, what Paul, uh, Peter had said at that point. He said, listen, brethren, it, it, that's, what, that's what put us under bonds. We couldn't keep it. Now we're asking them to keep what we couldn't keep. And so the law was doing exactly what the law was intended to do, and that was to bring us to the point where we realized that we cannot keep the law. We are not righteous within ourselves. God's standards are, are much, much higher than that. So uh, let's turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, or a little bit before then. We learn what this uh, is all about. Let's start at verse 13. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not the liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. This is a law that James is talking about. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour... That sounds like James, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If ye bite and devour one another, take heed, ye be not consumed one of another. And so the, there is this perfect law and the perfect law is a real concern and a real love for 
my fellow human being. And, and that will guide me. All the other laws of Moses are wrapped up in that. And I, I want you to begin to consider that. If I truly love, in other words, I am not walking for Aaron anymore. I am walking for everyone around Aaron. Then all the law is fulfilled. And you can go through it. This, indeed, is the law of love. Speak not evil one of another, brother. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? What he's saying basically is this, that, that you let me be the judge. You be the lover. I say to God many times, I say, Lord Jesus Christ, listen, you're better at the lover part. Let me be the judge. I think I'm better at that. I think I'm better at being able to identify the weaknesses in, another, in my fellow human beings and point them out to them. You love them, Lord. What he's saying here is, you love them. I'll judge them. And he says, all judgment is given into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You love them. I'll judge them. Wow. That's hard stuff to handle, isn't it? Because that means my agenda has to go by the wayside. My agenda that, that wants to build myself up and, and, and cause my character to be uh, uh, more admired by my fellow human beings as they walk through this earth, that all has to be thrown away. Because I can't carry that kind of agenda and carry a real true love for my fellow human beings at the same time. There we go with that divided heart again. And so he said, listen, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will do the judging. You do love him. And you love him. And you love him. And when you, they fail, you, you love them. And when they fail again, you love them again. And it's not all that pleasant at times. Sometimes we just get caught up in wanting to push our own agenda. James is very matter-of-fact. <clears throat> James doesn't beat around the bush. He gives it in its purest form. And I thank the Lord for it because every time you read the book of James, you've got to come away with a certain level of conviction for yourself. I don't know that anyone can read the book of James and feel like he has fulfilled all that there is. James had made a lot of mistakes with his mouth. James had made a lot of mistakes with his actions. James had made a lot of mistakes in the way he dealt with people. Remember, he, 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 told, he was telling people that the Lord Jesus Christ was a big scam for a while. They didn't believe. His brethren didn't believe. 
And so James made a lot of mistakes, but boy, he was going to lay it out the way it really was because after he began to rehearse the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the miracles he did out of compassion for humanity, his teaching, everything that he did, he realized this truly is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he called him Lord, James chapter 1, verse 1, he meant Lord, he knows what Lord's all about. Sometimes we take that for granted, but he called him Lord because he recognized him as Lord. We need to do the same. I need to do the same. And that's going to be a, a catalyst. It's going to be a driving force in what I do. My actions are going to be under guard. My tongue is going to be under guard. All that my interactions with my own brethren here, all that stuff is going to be under guard. It's going to be under the guard of the Holy Spirit of God as I submit to His will. We, we are so quick to defend ourselves. And that's exactly, I think, what is being portrayed here in this particular passage. Let's just close with a word of prayer. Our Father and our, Le- our, our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that you've given us the Word of God. Sometimes it comes out so pure and so powerful that it hurts. But that's okay. One day we're going to be standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hurt's going to be over. We're going to look into His face and we're going to realize all that He has done. We're going to see His hand still scarred by the nails that drove into Him for my sins. And we're going to realize. And the hurt's going to be over. Father, we thank You that that You chasten us. You chasten us because You love us. You care about us. Our Father, we just pray that each one here would take up the the book of James and to realize that, that it is an honest exhortation for all of us to live more like the Lord Jesus Christ. For to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.